There's the background. This is a field recording from Lisbon off of the 2003 album Invisible Cities. This is a uh, rumor, the alias of Rui Viana Pereira. This track is Lisbon. As we'll close with one last track here. I think it's German. It kind of continues the Seven Samurai theme only by remix. This will be the Andrea Pazzi trio off of a remix album done by the Seven Samurai duo. I think out of Germany or Austria. Off of El Mundo Nuevo. This is Seven Samurai remixing. You can't get what you want. So take care of yourselves, Vancouver. And I'll see you in seven days. Stay dry. Stay warm. And stay safe. listening to CITR 101.9 from the University of British Columbia, right out here on unceded Musqueam territory. And of course, we're on the web as well, CITR.ca. Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show, coming right up with Gavin Walker.
We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR, FM 101.9, or on the web, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and uh, we are going to delve into our jazz feature right off the top of the show, and we certainly hope you enjoy it. It's very, it's a unique jazz feature. If I say very unique, someone's going to turn around and say, hey, that's redundant. It's simply unique. <laughs> All right. I know uh, I know who it is because uh, he's a very good friend of mine, and he uh, uh, corrects me sometimes on my, um, on my um, grammar, and uh, he does it in a very joking way, and it's very interesting because English is not his first language. Uh, so it's always fun to uh, to uh, debate and banter with him. But uh, one of the things he gets me for is saying things like very unique, uh, which is actually saying the same thing. Uh, so you simply have to say unique, and, and that describes what, what – but sometimes, you know, you have to put those adverbs in there to, to, to emphasize things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's all in fun. The music this evening is uh, really serious and really intense, and it's, a, a, again, a unique album because it features a jazz band with a 16-voice choir together making music, and all the compositions are by the leader of the band. Now, this is, is a extremely innovative record, and it's really hard to believe that it was all created in February of 1962. And that's not exactly a short while ago, but the music is still very fresh and very new and very different from a lot of the jazz features that we present on this show. To get to the specifics, the album is called It's Time, and it's Max Roach, his chorus and orchestra. It was originally issued on Impulse Records back in the early 60s, uh, a very adventurous label. Max Roach, of course, as most people know, was one of the pioneers of modern jazz and began his career really in about 1949 as a band leader. And of course, he, he cut his teeth with uh, uh, the very innovative Charlie Parker quintet with uh, Miles Davis and Duke Jordan and all the different people that Charlie Parker had in his group. And Max was the drummer of choice. And, of course, he was featured on, on all kinds of uh, recording sessions. And he did become a band leader in 1949 and put together a group that um, played over in, in France, in Paris, as a matter of fact. And that's a city that's been in the news very much and still is. And uh, after that, Max returned to the United States and continued to, uh, to uh, perform and in 1953, formed his first um, American quintet. Then in 1954, he got a gig on the West Coast and played in Los Angeles and was part of the 
uh, Howard uh, Rumsey, um, Lighthouse All-Stars, which featured um, the best of the West Coast musicians. And it was an honor, of course, to have Max Roach there, there playing drums. But he had an idea for a band that he wanted to form with the great trumpeter who was just on his way up to stardom, Clifford Brown. And Mr. Roach and Mr. Brown formed one of the most amazing and innovative groups in jazz music, and that was, of course, the Clifford Brown Max Roach Quintet. And uh, unfortunately, in 1956, Clifford Brown was killed in a car crash. But Max Roach, after a period of mourning and recovery from this absolute trauma, as a matter of fact, the whole jazz world was traumatized by Clifford Brown's demise because he, he delivered so much promise and uh, was young and, and, and uh, straight uh, in terms of uh, he wasn't a drug user or anything like that. He was a really, really fine example. Clifford Brown was a fine example of what uh, a real jazz musician should be. And um, so, of course, Max Roach had to recover from all this, but he did come back and form a, uh, various very innovative bands and that had all kinds of wonderful people in them, from Sonny Rollins to Harold Land to George Coleman to Booker Little to Julian Priester to the Turrentine brothers, Tommy and Stanley. Uh, so many people came through Max Roach's band. Max was a good-looking man and very proud of his African-American heritage and was also very alert and aware of all the civil rights movements that were happening in the United States. Max Roach uh, was a voracious reader of newspapers and, and information and, and knew a lot of things that a lot of jazz musicians weren't particularly interested in. He was a very, very well-spoken man and uh, was very up on things. And all of a sudden he realized you know, I want to make music that ref really reflects my feelings about being an African-American in America and what it means. And he made a pu very public statement in about 1959 to one of the jazz publications. And he said, the time is now. It's time. It's time for my music to be the music that reflects my thinking. And I will not ever again play any kind of music that doesn't have some sort of political or social significance. But it's still going to be music on the level that I've always played it. So that was his political statement. And not long after that, a very innovative record, we all often feature it on Black History Month, very innovative record by Max Roach called uh, We Insist, the Freedom Now Suite, was the first of, the real first of this kind of thinking by Mr. Roach. And the music was very political and angry, intense and edgy, and innovative, and was also incredible 
music. It took incredible musicians to play it. There were two follow-up albums when Max um, moved over to the Impulse label. And the first one was kind of an outgrowth of the Freedom Now Suite, and it was an album called Bitter Sweet. And it was a series of pieces uh, all written by Max Roach, uh, put together by his ensemble of the time. The second album for Impulse is the album we're going to hear this evening. And it's a little further growth in this concept of uh, Mr. Roach's. And Impulse wanted to record him more because they were an innovative label. But um, they, for some reason, they couldn't agree on the finances. And Max Roach was on his own. He, he didn't sign a, a renewal contract after this album. But he was boycotted because of his political views from all record companies. And he didn't record again for any major label until he was signed by Atlantic Records in 1965. And it was solely because of his political stance and his stance on civil rights that he was boycotted. And this is in the 60s. It's very interesting. Anyway, this second album for Impulse is called It's Time. And again, it's a real um, innovative Record And it features Max Roach's ensemble, which included one of my very favorite tenor saxophonists who uh, takes a solo on the first piece that is absolutely incredible, Clifford Jordan from Chicago. On trumpet, one of the powerhouse trumpet players of all times, Richard Williams. And on trombone, my old friend and a gentleman who is still with us, just celebrated his 80th birthday. Julian Priester is the trombonist. On piano, the very innovative Mel Waldron. On bass, a gentleman who became, uh, actually uh, took his doctorate in music not long after this recording session, Art Davis on bass, who became Dr. Art Davis, and of course Max Roach on drums. The 16-voice choir is conducted by a friend of Max's, a very fine pianist and uh, arranger by the name of Coleridge T. Perkinson. And he does the conducting and, and, and leads the, or, uh, the voices. And Max Roach's wife of the time will be featured on one tune. And of course, we all know that was Abby Lincoln. And she is heard on the final tune of this set of six compositions, all arranged, composed, and orchestrated by Max Roach. So we open with the title track. Tune number one is called It's Time. Tune number two features the trombone of Julian Priester. Each tune uh, actually features uh, one of the major soloists in the band. And the first tune, of course, features Clifford Jordan's tenor saxophone. And it's called, as I said, It's Time. The second tune features Julian Priester's trombone. It's called Another Valley. Third tune settles things down a little bit and features some really nice trumpet by Richard Williams. And it's called Sunday Afternoon. And it's a little bit of a respite. Um, 
Then we go into tune number four, which is a, a powerful tune, and it's called Living Room. And it features, uh, um, again, some powerful uh, work by the band. Tune number five is called The Prophet. And tune number six, with the vocal by Abby Lincoln, is called Lonesome Lover. So those are the six tunes, and uh, or six compositions by this um, band. And as I said before, this, this recording is... Um, all about Max's feelings about uh, the politics and uh, the civil rights. And so the music, as I said, is innovative, edgy, intense, sometimes angry, and completely worth listening to. So without further ado, Max Roach, his band, and the 16-voice choir. It's time. Our jazz feature this evening.
our jazz feature this evening. Incredible recording by drummer Max Roach, who wrote, composed, orchestrated, and arranged all of that music for his group and a 16-voice choir, which was uh, conducted by Max's great friend Coleridge T. Perkinson. On the final tune, of course, we heard Max Roach's wife, Abby Lincoln, singing. And, of course, the people in Max's band. And each tune uh, featured uh, one of the soloists uh, in the band. The people involved in Max's group of the time, Clifford Jordan on tenor saxophone, Richard Williams on trumpet, Julian Priester on trombone, Mel Waldron on piano, and... Dr. Art Davis on bass. So the compositions, there were six of them on this album. It was uh, issued on the Impulse label, and it was the um, second of two great albums that uh, Max Roach did for that label, and it's too bad that uh, they couldn't agree on uh, the uh, finances to continue his contract because they would have been willing to record Max. Unfortunately, after that, no other record company would touch Max with a 10-foot pole because of his militant stance and uh, the style of his music. They just didn't want that. And uh, it's a credit to Impulse Records that they agreed to uh, finance this project and uh, distribute this recording. And it's one of Max Roach's um, most innovative recordings, and it really stands as a classic. We heard six compositions by Max. The first one was the title track featuring this incredible tenor saxophone work of uh, Clifford Jordan. And needless to say, Max Roach's drumming on this album is <laughs> it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, but It's Time, that featured Clifford Jordan on tenor saxophone. Then uh, the next piece was called Another Valley, and that featured the trombone work of the great, and still with us, Julian Priester. Then we heard um, Settling Things Down with a composition called Sunday Afternoon, and... Uh, we heard Richard Williams once again on trumpet on that particular tune, as well as Mal Waldron on piano. Then we heard uh, a tune entitled Living Room, and um, that featured Julian Priester on trombone once again. Then we heard a, an intense piece called The Prophet, spelt, not, not the prophet, the uh, uh, um, soothsayer, prophet, uh, it's the prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T, referring to profit like money. That's what that two number five was called, and that featured, of course, the incredible trumpet work of Richard Williams once again. And the final tune, of course, with uh, Abby Lincoln singing Lonesome Lover, and the tenor saxophone solo, of course, was by Clifford Jordan. So that's the album, It's Time, Max Roach, his chorus and orchestra, recorded in New York City 53 years ago in the month of February 1962. Ironically, uh, of course, we know Max Roach's position on civil rights, and um, 
Ironically, February, of course, is traditionally Black History Month, but back then there was no such thing as Black History Month. So it's kind of interesting that the coincidence that the album was recorded in that month. There you go. I'll leave you with that. And I hope you enjoyed the jazz feature, something very different from, uh, from Max Roach. And, of course, his music will never be a stranger uh, on this program. And, of course, this program is The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9, broadcasting out here at the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory. And we're also on the web, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker. We're going to be back with a little bit of a tribute to Friday the 13th. I know it's past, and of course it was a very eventful day in world history, as we all know and we're all aware of. But Friday the 13th has a significance with people that are uh, a little bit on the superstitious side. It's kind of interesting. It's always known as uh, a day... Uh, when bad luck strikes, well, <laughs> it certainly did in uh, in world events. But uh, well, it was also the date of a recording by Thelonious Monk that I particularly like. It's not considered one of his greatest recordings, and it was a day that was fraught with incredible amounts of difficulty. It's it's amazing that anything even got recorded in the first place. And I'll tell you more about it after these messages. We're going to listen to the complete uh, session, which was done for Prestige Records on Mar- on February, th- February 13th, on November 13th, Friday the 13th, 1953, by Thelonious Monk and his ensemble with Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone. And we will be back with that in just a moment. Right after these. When Shanna Larson was a little girl, she already had artistic talent, and it was clear that she would be quite an athlete. But Shan always knew what she wanted to do with her life. She wanted to teach. Shan was only 24 years old when she lost her life to breast cancer. And now it's her spirit that will teach us. Teach us to take care of ourselves. For more information, visit teamshan.ca. Breast cancer, not just a disease of older women. Mark your calendars. Discorder Magazine's fall fundraiser is around the corner. Wander out of your multi-week post-Halloween stupor and directly into the Astoria this November 19th for live performances by Revered, TV Ugly, Mesa Luna, and Late Spring. DJ Danny Vancouver will have all night sets in between the bands. With doors opening at 8, tickets are only $5 at the door before 10pm and $10 after. Proceeds go towards supporting Vancouver's longest-running independent music magazine. Discorder needs your help to stay in print, so come on up for a night of sweet tunes and keep alt coverage of Vancouver and Canadian music, arts, and culture alive. Visit www.discorder.ca for all the details. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. 
Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theater, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theater, visit their website at www.riotheater.ca. Friday the 13th. Uh, yes, well, that always, you know, conjures up all kinds of things in people's minds. And it was an eventful day for Thelonious Monk and Sonny Rollins. They were on their way to a recording session uh, for Prestige Records uh, on that day in 1953. Uh, certain things happened. The drummer that Thelonious wanted uh, for this date was not available, busy, and in another city. And Thelonious decided to use a young, inexperienced drummer by the name of Willie Jones. There's no relation to Philly Joe Jones or Joe Jones or anything, another Jones. This is Willie Jones. Willie Jones actually turned out to be a very good drummer. And on this date, he was trying very hard to, to deal with Monk's um, rather quirky music. And I think he did a pretty good job, but he, he lacked, of course, uh, experience and seasoning, and, and he really lacked experience playing with Monk. So that was one thing. The major thing was the day before the recording session, Monk got a phone call at home, and his trumpet player of choice, which was Ray Copeland, had the flu and couldn't make the gig. Monk's other trumpet player of choice was Idris Suleiman, and Idris was on the road with a band, so he wasn't available. So Thelonious was scratching his head. Record dates were very important in those days, and, and Monk wasn't working that much. He had to do this date. You don't mess up on record dates. You, you just have to be there. And so Monk scratched his head, and he called a very good friend, a musician that he admired, who was not a trumpet player, but a French horn player, and the first real important French horn player in jazz music, and that was the late great Julius Watkins. So Julius agreed to come in, but he had to read the music cold. <laughs> That's a problem on a record date. You usually want to have a little bit of uh, either looking over the music um, or preferably rehearsing it. Um, Julius would have gone over to Monk's house and, and gone over the tunes and, and, and really um, internalized them. But no, he had to read them cold. Everything else on the date seemed to, uh, after, after the, 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 the trumpet incident, then on the way to the recording, um, Thelonious took a cab and went over to Sonny Rollins' house, picked him up, and the two of them were making the record date together. Now, Sonny Rollins was very familiar with the music, but on the way there, their cab hit a motorcycle who stopped quickly in front of the cab, and the cab driver had no choice but to brake hard and skid into the motorcycle. So 
And Monk turned around to Sonny Rollins and said, hey, man, Friday the 13th, man. So they had to wait around for the police to be called, and they had to be interviewed and all this kind of stuff. And, of course, uh, that was, uh, again, an unpredictable uh, situation. They finally made the recording studio, which was uh, right in New York City. And they were late, of course, but uh, things got rolling very, very quickly. And uh, as I said, uh, Julius Watkins uh, had to read Monk's tunes cold. We're going to hear the first two tunes on the date, uh, which were two Monk compositions called Let's Call This and Think of One. And uh, these tunes are not exactly easy. They're, they're, they're monks. And after they finished that, there was time to do one, one more. And Monk scribbled down a tune that was only four bars long. And he had no title for it. And um, four bars long, a very strange kind of form of a tune. And that's all that the soloist had to, had to go on was these four bars endlessly repeating and repeating and repeating and they had to invent something on this and uh, <laughs> so as it as it was uh, that turned out to be the sweet spot of the date because something happened on that particular tune and um, Sonny Rollins who was soloing at the time looked up at the uh, control booth and they, the the um, Ira Gittler, who was uh, supervising the session, kept saying, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, because that wasn't the usual thing. Anyway, uh, Friday the 13th was the uh, title of the tune that they came up with. Thelonious Monk decided to call it Friday the 13th. And it's the longest track on, on the album. Normally, they would have done another tune, but because things seem to catch fire on that, on that particular piece of music, uh, especially uh, Sonny Rollins' solo is very inventive, and Monk solo as well, that they decided to make it a very long tune. And, of course, it came out on a record. It was one side of a 10-inch record, and then, of course, the other two tunes are on the other side. The people involved uh, on this uh, historic session which is never, um, it never got uh, high ratings. I think it's a, it's a wonderful recording session. It's not, may, may not be Monk's greatest, but it certainly has a lot of merit to it. Sonny Rollins, young um, tenor saxophonist at the time, um, and Julius Watkins on French horn on the front line. Percy Heath is the ever-reliable bassist, and young Willie Jones on drums and, of course, Thelonious on piano. So we're going to hear the three tunes that they recorded, beginning with Let's Call This. And then we go to uh, Think of One. And the final tune, of course, is the sweet spot of the whole date, Friday the 13th. So here is the complete recording session from that, uh, from that date. Hope you enjoy it.
Thank you. 
Friday the 13th. <laughs> That's when that was recorded. And uh, it was a gloomy day in New York City, too. It was uh, pouring rain, wet roads, and of course that's why when Sonny Rollins and Monk were heading to the recording studio, their taxi skidded into a motorcycle, and they were delayed for quite a while. And, uh, of course, it just added to the uh, uh, tensions on, uh, on that particular record date. Things happen. And, of course, Monk's uh, regular trumpet player coming down with the flu and um, a quick call to uh, French hornist Julius Watkins to come in and, and uh, read the tunes cold. He'd never played them before. And, uh, of course, uh, and, and a young, uh, rather inexperienced drummer who occasionally uh, was uh, kind of plodding. Um, you could imagine these tunes being played by someone, a master drummer like Art Blakey or Max Roach or Kenny Clark. But uh, Willie Jones did a pretty credible job. This was his first time in a recording studio, and he was pretty nervous uh, as well. But uh, he turned out to be a, a, a fine drummer, ended up working with a lot of people, including Elmo Hope, Charles Mingus. He was um, in Mingus's band before Danny Richmond came into the, uh, into the group. And uh, he was quite, I don't know whatever happened to Willie Jones, but uh, he was on the scene at least in the, uh, in the mid-50s the drummer. Anyway, this legendary date, November 13th, 1953, for Prestige Records. Three tunes uh, we heard, of course, three Monk compositions. Thelonious on piano, Julius Watkins on French horn, Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone, Monk's favorite tenor player, Percy Heath, Ever Reliable, on bass, and Willie Jones on drums. First tune was called Finkel One, and, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, the first tune was called Let's Call This. And uh, the second tune was didn't have a title. And uh, um, Thelonious looked around and said, think of one. And, and, and Sonny Rollins uh, apparently turned to him and said, well, that's, that's a good title for the tune. And Monk says, yeah, that's cool. That's what we'll call it, think of one. So that, that was tune number two. And tune number three was uh, um, scribbled on manuscript paper uh, in the studio by, by Thelonious, four bars only, and uh, repeated four bars ad infinitum. Friday the 13th is what they called it, and um, that became uh, another instant monk composition. I always had a, uh, I always liked this date. It was, it, it has been sort of criticized over the years uh, over, uh, as not being one of Monk's more significant dates. Maybe not, but there were some beautiful moments, especially on the final tune, Friday the 13th. I think Sonny Rollins really scored, and so did Monk. And Julius Watkins did a, a yeoman's job playing one of the most difficult of all brass instruments, the French horn. And Julius stuck with it for a, a lifetime. I remember reading an article on Julius, uh, Julius Watkins in Downbeat magazine, the only article I, I read about this amazing man, very, very dedicated. And uh, he played. Um, he also played trumpet, and, of course, he hated, the, he hated the instrument, and he played mostly in R&B and Latin bands around New York to make a living, but he was devoted to the French horn. And uh, in the article, the article was titled, The Horn Nobody Wants. And uh, that was the story of Julius Watkins. He was uh, referred to as the Phantom. 
that was his nickname because he um, he was a man of few words. And and after he finished uh, doing a a gig or a recording session, they'd look around and say, "Where's Julius? We want to uh, take him for a drink or something." He'd be gone, disappeared, gone home. Oh, the Phantom again. Anyway, interesting uh, anecdotes. Hope you enjoy them. We're uh, here at CITR FM 101.9 on your dial. And, of course, we're broadcasting out here at the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory. We're also on the web, www.citr.ca. And, of course, you're listening to The Jazz Show. My name's Gavin Walker. And I came across this. I hadn't listened to this for a long time. Uh, this is a band led by my good friend, Don Fraser, and it features one of my very, very dearest friends and uh, one of the most wonderful vocalists you're ever going to hear. And unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Passed away a few years ago. He's from, lived in Seattle for many years, originally from Detroit, Michigan. His name is Woody Woodhouse, and Woody Woodhouse, of course, was a legendary musician in the Seattle area and uh, a great um, person, did a lot of work for civil rights and all this kind of stuff. And Woody was my uh, uh, very good friend. Uh, we did some traveling together. We did some gigs together, and uh, I kind of miss Woody. We're going to hear him do two vocals on here. Don Fraser, at the time, had a, had a gig in the Georgia Hotel, and they had a lounge in the hotel. Now, it's all changed now, but uh, back then the entrance was right on Georgia Street, and you could go into the lounge, and um, they had music there on the weekends, and, and Don put together various bands with uh, different vocals, uh, different vocalists, and, uh, and different musicians uh, every weekend for um, quite a long time. And uh, I had the pleasure of uh, working there with Don quite a few times, and I worked there with Woody, and uh, so many people kind of uh, breezed through. Don sort of had a, a, a rolling um, bend, different people. Uh, he wanted to give everybody a chance, and of course he wanted to give all the good singers around town a chance. And it was great that um, he managed to um, get hold of uh, Woody, and bring him up uh, quite a few times. And, of course, Woody was really, the, I thought, the finest singer um, that uh, Don was able to bring in. And there's no slight on uh, any of the other singers that Don chose. So we're going to hear Don on drums uh, with Lorne Kellett on piano, Jim Pynchon uh, from Edmonton on tenor saxophone, Torben Oxball, I wish he was still playing, uh, unfortunately, he had an accident with his arm, and he doesn't uh, perform anymore. Great bass player We're, um, from Denmark that moved to Vancouver. And Woody Woodhouse on two vocals. We're going to hear him do a great tune called Speak Low, written by Kurt Weil and Ogden Nash. And then a great tune, always a favorite, and a favorite of Woody's, too. The tune is The Masquerade is Over. So here then with the Don Fraser group, the great vocal stylings of Woody Woodhouse. Speak loud, 
darling, speak love. Love is a spark lost in the dark. Too soon, too soon. Speak low when you speak love. For our moment is swift, like ships adrift. We're swept apart too soon. Speak low, darling, speak love. Our summer day withers away. Too soon, too soon. I fear wherever I go. That tomorrow is here, tomorrow is near, and always too soon. Time is so old, and love is so brief. Love is pure gold, and time a thief. It's late, darling, too late. The curtain descends, everything ends. Too soon, too soon. I wait, always I wait. Will you speak low to me, speak love to me, and soon? Speak love. Love is a spark lost in the dark. Too soon, too soon. Speak love when you speak love. For a moment is swift, like ships adrift. We're swept apart too soon. Speak low, darling. Speak low. Our summer day withers away. Too soon, too soon. I fear wherever I go. Tomorrow is near and always too soon. Time is so old and love is so brief. 
Love is pure gold at time of thief. It's late, darling, too late. The curtain descends, everything ends. Too soon, too soon. I wait, always I wait. Will you speak low to me? Will you speak love to me? to me speak love 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 to me and soon That's why I'm afraid I'm afraid the masquerade is over All over And so is love And so Yes, I'll have to play Pagliacci Get myself a clown's disguise And learn to laugh like Pagliacci
is love Ha 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 
Just listening to Woody, I sure, I sure miss him. He uh, passed away a few years ago. Woody Woodhouse, the great Woody Woodhouse. He should have been a lot more famous during his lifetime, but he chose to live in Seattle and uh, performed around there for many, many, many years. Originally from Detroit and uh, was a, a very, very dear friend. And uh, Woody and his uh, his music. We heard uh, three tunes, and of course the band was put together by my good friend Don Fraser. And this was recorded in uh, CBC Studios uh, a number of years ago with um, one of our finest pianists, and, and we don't hear him very often. Uh, he, he lives in New Westminster now, but I think uh, he is one of our uh, most superb uh, pianists, and uh, he's kind of dropped off the radar a little bit. And it, uh, he shouldn't. His name was Lauren Kellett. Lauren Kellett on piano. And from Edmonton, a uh, very fine tenor saxophonist, Jim Pynchon. And uh, he happened to be in town, and, uh, and Don decided to use him on this uh, particular uh, recording. Torben Oxball on bass, the great Dane. And uh, he's another one that's missed because, uh, as I said, uh, Torben's still alive and well, but... Uh, um, due to a, an arm injury, he, he cannot perform on, uh, on bass anymore. And, of course, the wonderful, my old buddy, Woody Woodhouse, on vocals. We heard three tunes. I was going to just play two, but I thought I'd throw in the third one. 
uh, as well. So three different kind of um, tunes. Uh, Woody had such a great range uh, of um, expression. So the first tune we heard was uh, the Kurt Weill, Ogden Nash classic, Speak Low. And then we heard another classic, of course, the great uh, sad ballad, The Masquerade is Over. And the final tune is the blues by the great Willie Dixon. And, uh, of course, that was called Built for Comfort. And, of course, Woody was not exactly a little man, so he, this, this tune was kind of uh, <laughs> almost autobiographical. We also heard um, he, could, um, he was a great whistler, uh, and he also was able to imitate, just with his mouth and his hands, um, different instruments. Uh, he could do a trumpet imitation, and we heard him on that, the uh, Willie Dixon, the last track, do his trombone uh, imitation as well before he got back to uh, straight singing. And uh, what a, an incredibly talented gentleman, Woody Woodhouse. And so I have to thank my good friend uh, Don Fraser for putting together that wonderful band. All right. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, some uh, some well, local music, eh? How, how's about how's about that? Local music, eh? <laughs> Made in Canada, eh? All right. We'll be back uh, in just a few moments. I'd just like to uh, tell you that we're actually going we're our next uh, segment of music. We're actually going to stay in Canada. Um, as a matter of fact, again, the CBC Studios, January 30th, 1965. I wasn't here for this. I was uh, I was I remember that because I was in San Francisco, but. Um, uh, an incredible visit by Mr. Stan Getz and his working band. And he went in and did a CBC radio show. And we're going to hear a part of that show um, in a few moments, right after some uh, important messages. And we'll be right back with uh, Mr. Getz and company. And the first important message is this one. UBC's Museum of Anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world, and guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources. Do you like friends? Well, we like you, so become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, but it gives you all kinds of deals with our friends on Main Street, including 10% off at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Red Cat Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and more. Visit CITR.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest.
yeah, the weather. <laughs> well, of course, we know what time of year it is and all that kind of stuff. Tonight is periods of rain and windy with a low of 11. It's not that cold out there, but of course, well, it's uncomfortable with the rain and stuff. And uh, you know, driving is not all that pleasant because of the reflection off the road and that sort of thing. You really have to be careful. Uh, tomorrow, rain is going to end in the afternoon, and then it's going to be just simply cloudy with a 40% chance of a shower. So maybe a break there, but it's still going to be windy with a low of 8 and a high of 12. And then Wednesday is cloudy with a 40% chance of a shower with a low of 6 and a high of 9. And Thursday and Friday, they're saying it's sunny both days um, with lows between 3 and 8. So that's all right. And then Saturday, back to cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower with a low of 3 and a high of 8. Could be kind of off and on rain for the weekend. And then Sunday is a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 3 and a high of 7. So that might turn out to be fairly pleasant, especially knowing that it's this time of year. Well, January 30th, 1965, right here in Vancouver, Stan Getz was playing down the street at Izzy's Supper Club, and he was here with his working band, Gary Burton on vibes, Gene Chirico on bass, and Joe Hunt on drums. And Stan went into the CBC studios and did um, a broadcast, and that was put out on a, uh, a CBC recording. So this is taken from a vinyl recording. There's some clicks and pops and so on. They never put this on uh, on digital. I don't know why, but um, issue, or issued it on CD. But uh, this is uh, taken from, as I said, a, a vinyl recording. Uh, the quality is is still very nice, and we get to hear this incredible band that Stan had together. He was uh, at Izzy's for uh, about a week and a half. And Izzy's was just uh, down the street from the uh, CBC studios at the time. It was on Georgia Street, and one of the one of Vancouver's great uh, supper clubs. All right. So Stan Getz, Gary Burton, Gene Chirico, and Joe Hunt. The first tune we're going to hear is a standard, uh, beautiful ballad by Rogers and Hart called "My Romance." And then uh, we hear Stan's voice. He's going to announce uh, the next tune, a very beautiful old tune called "When the World Was Young." And tune number three is the very familiar Manja de Carnaval, Morning of the Carnival, from the great movie Black Orpheus. So three tunes by Stan Getz, recorded right here in good old Vancouver. Thank you. 
Thank you very much and good evening. And now I'd like to play a ballad for you called When the World Was Young.
The next song is a Brazilian song, a bossa nova. It's one of the tunes from the Brazilian motion picture, Black Orpheus, and it features Gene Chirico on the bass.
Next, we're going to play a tune written by Gary Burton, our vibraharpist. It's a, it's a jazz song called A Singing Song. And instead of the usual 4-4 time signature, we employ a 6-8 time signature, which means nothing. But here it is anyway. Gary Burton's Singing Song. Stan Getz and his quartet recorded right here in Vancouver. I said the uh, the CBC studios were on Georgia Street. At the uh, actually, they were in the Vancouver Hotel at the time, and uh, Stan was performing nightly at uh, Izzy's Supper Club, which was of course in the 1100 block Georgia Street. And this all took place January 30th, 1965, and recorded. Uh, uh, one early evening before uh, their gig at uh, Izzy's in the uh, CBC studios and was issued on a, a CBC recording, but uh, it's never been transferred to a CD. So I got this recording, uh, and this it's a very rare um, 
recording, of course, and uh, CBC never thought to uh, digitalize this this, um, performance and put it on CD. I don't know why. So uh, we copped this from uh, uh, a vinyl recording, of course, and you heard a few of the clicks and pops and bacon frying in the background. But some wonderful music by his Stan's Quartet that he appeared right here in Vancouver with, with the very young and uh, just getting started in his career, Gary Burton on Vibes, who, of course, is one of the giants of that instrument today. Gene Chirico, the late Gene Chirico on bass, and Joe Hunt on drums, an extremely fine, underrated drummer. And, of course, Mr. Getz, who was not underrated, but superlatives really don't apply to Stan because it doesn't really get much better than Stan, a wonderful player. We heard four tunes, beginning with uh, the Rodgers and Hart standard, My Romance, and then we heard Stan announce um, the second tune, When the World Was Young, and once again, the voice of Stan Getz introduced Morning of the Carnival from uh, the movie Black Orpheus by Louise Bonfa. And the final tune was the very delightful uh, Gary Burton original called A Singing Song, with the uh, little uh, horse clopping in the background was kind of cute on that tune. That was a big hit and a big favorite for, uh, for this particular band and frequently requested. All right, some uh, Stan Getz in Canada recording by this uh, very fine band. Actually, we featured um, this very same band, uh, I guess, a couple of months ago on uh, the jazz show. And, of course, it was one of the the better bands that uh, Stan put together. We're going to uh, continue with some music, but we're going to take you back in time, really back in time, not to the 50s, not to the 40s, but to 1936. Now, that's a long time ago. That's even older than your grandparents, right? (laughs) Okay. Uh, We're going to take you back there, and uh, we're going to hear a very fine band led by the legendary drummer Gene Krupa, who at the time was playing with um, Benny Goodman. And, uh, of course, he was one of the big stars in the Benny Goodman band. And, of course, he, Gene Krupa, was very responsible for bringing the drums out of the background to the forefront. And, um, of course, his, his drumming style is reflected today on so many drummers, not only jazz drummers, but rock drummers and, and so on, his rudiments and his, his incredible talent. We're going to hear that in a very few moments. We just have a couple of messages, and we'll be right back with the legendary Mr. Krupa. Other Vancouver is a collective promoting slow design through independent creatives. This year's event, themed Spaces, showcases products alongside its makers through images of their workspaces. We aim to support mindful consumerism. Come out on November 27th to 29th at 877 East Hastings, Studio 301. Visit Other on Instagram or Facebook for previews. This Quarter Magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long-term support of the Rickshaw Theatre, Discorder lives. Hey, 
your favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theater, check out their calendar just behind the cover of Discord or Magazine or at rickshawtheater.com. You are, of course, listening to CITR 101.9, right out here at the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory. We're also on the web, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show. And as I mentioned, we're going to go back to the 29th of February, 1936. That's a few years ago, isn't it? All right. And we're going to hear something by Gene Krupa, the legendary drummer. This is, uh, he's leading this band, and it's, uh, it's called Gene Krupa and His Swing Band, and it features Little Jazz on trumpet. Yeah, he's a fellow Aquarian. The great Roy Eldridge, and Roy Eldridge, of course, um, was really Dizzy Gillespie's inspiration on, on trumpet. Roy came from, uh, directly from Louis Armstrong, and Dizzy Gillespie came from Roy, so the legacy of the trumpet. Roy Eldridge, a really important musician. On clarinet, Gene's boss. In a sideman role, Benny Goodman. And on tenor saxophone, one of the finest, and uh, again, a rather sad event. He was killed in a car crash, and uh, we lost him in, in uh, I believe it was 1939. And the great Leon Chu Barry on tenor saxophone. What a sound. And uh, he is great on here. One of my favorite swing era pianists is here with Gene Krupa, Jess Stacy on piano, and on guitar, Alan Roos. And on bass, someone who went on to uh, play with uh, the great Ama Jamal for many years. Here he is uh, while he was very young, a virtuoso bassist, Israel Crosby. And of course, Drummond Man, Mr. Gene Krupa, on, well, <laughs> you know what he plays, right? I don't have to tell you. We're going to hear four tunes, the four tunes that they recorded um, in Chicago, 29th of February, 1936. And uh, the first tune is called I Hope Gabriel Likes My Music, written by a guy named Dave Franklin. Then Gene brings in uh, a young lady who was singing with the Benny Goodman band, Helen Ward, a very beautiful young lady, and she's going to join the band for um, a tune called Mutiny in the Parlor. And then um, Helen stays on for the next tune, and it's written by two guys named Mike Riley and Ed Farley, whoever they are. The tune is called I'm Going to Clap My Hands. And the final tune is... Uh, composed by Gene Krupa and Roy Eldridge and Chew Berry, and it's called Swing is Here. So these are legendary recordings led by the legendary drummer, Drummond Man, Gene Krupa. Here we go. Thank you. 
Well, we heard an extra tune there, too, um, from a little later uh, date. The, fi- the last tune we heard, which, of course, is an old standard, the Vincent Humans thing called I Know That You Know, um, that was the Gene Krupa big band, and that's the big band that he formed after he left Benny Goodman's band. And the reason he left Benny Goodman's band was uh, because Benny, <laughs> Benny was uh, getting very jealous of all the attention that Gene was getting, and he felt that Gene was uh, um, stealing, uh, stealing the show, Benny, you know, and, and uh, so Benny's ego got in the way, and, and they had an argument, and, and Gene said, see you later, Benny. Um, I'm going to form my own band. Bye. And, of course... Um, Benny never looked back, and of course, uh, uh, the the feud didn't last very long. A couple of months, they didn't speak to one another, and then they were back being best of friends. So that's the way these things happen. So that was um, a little later example of the Gene Krupa Orchestra, the way they sound. Very fine band, and some uh, some great people in that. But the session we were interested in was the small band session from 1936. And uh, the 29th of February in Chicago, 1936, 79 years ago. My goodness. Gene Krupa and his swing band with Roy Eldridge on trumpet, Benny Goodman on clarinet, Chew Berry, yes, sir, one of the greats on tenor saxophone, Jess Stacy at the piano, Alan Roos on guitar, Israel Crosby on bass, and, of course, Mr. Krupa on drums. And we heard four tunes. Um, oh, and also, well... Um, I'll tell you. The first tune was a a thing called I Hope Gabriel Likes My Music. And then the next two tunes featured the vocal stylings uh, of Helen Ward, who was the the band singer with um, Benny Goodman's band. And, uh, you know, uh, it was different times in those days. They they, they used to refer to the, the, the female band singers as canaries. Um, I'm sure lots of um, uh, young young females would object to that term today, but uh, there you go. That was uh, that was sort of a, a proper respectful term back in those days. But don't forget that was 1936. Times have changed big time. Uh, the two tunes with Helen Ward, um, uh, "Mutiny in the Parlor," and that was followed by "I'm Going to Clap My Hands." And then uh, the instrumental band was back for the final tune, uh, Gene Krupa, Roy Eldridge, Chewberry original called Swing is Here. And that was, the, that was the final tune with the small group. And then we had the uh, added um, big band piece, I Know That You Know, from uh, a couple of years later with uh, Gene's uh, big band. All right, a little tribute to one of the great drummers, one of the great personalities as well, Gene Krupa. We're going to return to Canada this time. As a matter of fact, with uh, all Canadian musicians, with the exception of the saxophone player, and the saxophone player is the one and only Paul Desmond, one of the most unique and wonderful sounds in jazz music. This was recorded in Toronto at a club called Bourbon Street in 1975, and it featured Paul Desmond with his Canadian quartet, That included the legendary Ed Bickert on guitar, who is now retired from playing. Great, great guitar player and became one of Paul Desmond's favorite people and favorite musicians. Ed Bickert had uh, those looks. uh, Paul Desmond used to call him Gary Cooper because he had that kind of Gary Cooper handsomeness. 
and Ed Bickert was a man of few words, rarely spoke, but when he did, you listened. On bass, my dear friend Don Thompson, one of the finest musicians this country has ever produced, member of the Order of Canada, and a gentleman who is uh, still alive and well and doing a lot of teaching in Toronto these days, passing on the, the great principles of jazz music to young people. Don Thompson. He's playing bass here. Don was responsible for the recording of this, too. He did the, uh, um, one hand was playing bass, the other hand was uh, twisting knobs and uh, doing the uh, engineering. On drums, originally from Vancouver, a great drummer, the late and wonderful Jerry Fuller. All of this was recorded uh, in um, the latter part of October of 1975. We're going to hear two tunes. Uh, both of them are very familiar. Uh, the first tune is, of course, the Mercer Ellington Standard Blues, called Things Ain't What They Used To Be. And the second tune, of course, you will recognize right off. I'm not even going to tell you what it is, except that Paul Desmond wrote it. So you might gather what it's going to be. Okay. Here we go with Mr. Paul Desmond. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah, I'm sure you haven't uh, figured out the title of that uh, last tune we heard, but uh, yeah, right. <laughs> a very exotic kind of um, Middle Eastern sounding version of Paul Desmond's Take Five. And before that, of course, uh, the great uh, Mercer Ellington tune. That was uh, Mercer was Duke Ellington's son. He wrote that tune way back in the early 40s when he was a young man called Things Ain't What They Used To Be. And, of course, it's um, one of those tunes that's always played um, in uh, jam sessions. Let's play that tune, and everybody knows it. And uh, this was Paul Desmond and his Canadian Quartet, recorded in Toronto at Bourbon Street uh, in the latter part of October of 1975 with... um, one of Paul's favorites, Ed Bickert on guitar, Don Thompson on bass, and the late Jerry Fuller on drums. Things ain't what they used to be, and take five. All right. You know, there's a couple of great websites to get onto. Um, one of them, of course, is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. And that's a very important website because um, you can buy tickets, you can see all the events. Uh, Coastal Jazz and Blues doesn't sleep. And, um, of course, they produce um, the Jazz Festival every year. But they also produce all sorts of shows during the year as well. And you can see the whole range of um, their uh, productions featuring all kinds of music in all different venues, and you can buy tickets, make reservations, do all that stuff right on their website. It's extremely comprehensive and a very good website to go on, and all kinds of links on there. And that's coastaljazz.ca. And as I said, these folks don't sleep um, after the jazz festival. They're, they're working hard all the time, and they're in their office um, working, planning, thinking, and um, yeah, just like that. So their website is great, coastaljazz.ca. The other website that I always mention is vancouverjazz.com. That's put together by my old friend Brian Nation. And uh, it's up to date um, with the exception of the gig calendar. And um, Brian still hasn't um, uh, been doing that, but um, you can still access that um, on, on different sites. And as a matter of fact, you can access it on um, on Brian's site, but it just comes up in a different spot. And so you have to kind of look around for it. Go, go to the form and um, and scroll down, and you'll see where it is. And uh, my good friend, Nuda Dune, of course, who hosts the show Friday afternoon on um, Co-op Radio, CFRO, um, does that. And he's been uh, filling in all the... Uh, all the uh, blanks there in in terms of uh, gigs, dates, all that sort of stuff. So you can check that out on VancouverJazz.com. And, of course, our jazz features are on there, too. There's uh, always a little essay as to what the feature is all about and a little write-up by yours truly and various other things on that site. So that's VancouverJazz.com. And, of course, my good friend Ken Speller, who is a wonderful uh, saxophone repairman, uh, music teacher, all-around guy, and uh, he, if you have um, work to be done on your instrument, whether you're a professional, amateur, hobbyist, whatever, 
and you play the saxophone, the flute, and the clarinet, he's the guy to go see. And if you want to learn stuff, he's a wonderful player and a very, very good teacher. And he has a business called Music at Home where he'll come to your home and, and, and give you lessons. And um, you don't have to go anywhere. You just stay there, and he'll tell you what to do, and then you better settle down and practice and wait for the next visit. Ken Speller, he's located. Um, also, when he repairs instruments, he keeps his prices very reasonable. I always mention this because he has his repair shop right in his home, so he doesn't have the overhead, and he can keep his prices extremely reasonable. He knows that musicians and people involved in music don't actually have a lot of money, and um, keeping an instrument up is, can sometimes be very expensive, so he keeps the prices uh, where you can manage. He can be reached at 778-800-1933, 778-800-1933. He's located in the 13th and Lonsdale area of North Vancouver, and he can be reached via email at kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca, kspeller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. We're going to close the show with a couple of tunes from a wonderful album called Starting Time. Featuring the great Clifford Jordan. And Clifford Jordan, of course, was the star, or one of the stars on our jazz feature this evening. Great tenor saxophonist from Chicago. Grew up with Johnny Griffin and John Jenkins and all the legendary Chicago musicians. And Clifford, um, what a, a beautiful sound he had on the tenor saxophone. This is his date on trumpet, the wonderful Kenny Dorham. And on piano, Cedar Walton. And on bass, the legendary Wilbur Ware, who was also a Chicagoan and one of the great bass players in jazz history. On drums, 2D Heath, Albert Heath on drums. And we're going to hear a couple of tunes. The first one is uh, written by Kenny Dorham, and it's called Sunrise in Mexico. And then we're going to hear a tune written by Cedar Walton. And it's a great tune. It's called One Flight Down. And we might have time for one more, but uh, that's what we're going to hear right off the top. Check out Wilbur Ware on this. What a bass player. And everyone else. Here we go.
Clifford Jordan from a Jazzland album called Starting Time. And that featured Clifford, of course, on tenor saxophone with the great trumpeter Kenny Dorham, Cedar Walton on piano, Wilbur Ware on bass, and Albert Tootie Heath on drums. We heard two tunes. Kenny Dorham's composition opened called Sunrise in Mexico, and the final tune was Cedar Walton's tune called One Flight Down. We certainly hope you enjoyed this edition of The Jazz Show on CITR, and will join us next week. Our jazz feature next week, by the way, is Thelonious Monk, live at the Five Spot with Johnny Griffin, the Chicago Fire, on tenor saxophone. And I maintain that this is some of the finest live jazz ever recorded. And Monk, along with uh, bassist uh, Ahmed Abdul-Malik and drummer Roy Haynes and, of course, Johnny Griffin right out front, um, make some incredible um, music. And we're going to hear a good part of their performances there. Basically a whole set recorded at the legendary Five Spot in New York City in 1958. So we hope you can join us for another edition of The Jazz Show. I'd just like to remind you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9, broadcasting right out here at the University of British Columbia on an unceded Musqueam territory. And, of course, we're on the web, www.citr.com. Take care, and uh, we'll see you in seven days' time on behalf of The Jazz Show and yours truly, Gavin Walker. Bye for now.